person who has given me deep roots and certainly helped me find my wings is our very own spiritual director, my teacher, mentor, and our spiritual leader, Dr. Reverend Patrick Cameron. Beautiful day. Good morning. Golly, this is a beautiful book. We, um, we did it at both services, and it's such a delight to be part of this. And we finally opened it, and, and Laura was looking through it next to me there. And I had to stop reading it. I was starting to tear up so much. So no, save that for later. But thank you. I'm just so filled with gratitude. You know, I, I, as I sat and I took in all the musicians and, um, uh, and, and, and Reverend Catherine and, and Norm and so many wonderful people that have been such a beautiful part of my journey and my growth continued journey here. I just am so full of gratitude. And uh, so thank you. Thanks for being part of this with us. Thanks for showing up. God, probably would only last a couple of weeks if nobody showed up and I just got up here and did this. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, to, to, you know, one of the gifts in my life years ago, I... I love you too, thanks. I just pinched my inside my hand here and pull it together. But one of the things I, years ago, that uh, I was not able to do um, because of lack, I had uh, I purchased a guitar when I was in my 20s. And then life took off and I just didn't have the, the, the devotion and the pieces and, and the, uh, I, needed, I needed a teacher and couldn't afford that. so. Put it down, and probably five, six years ago, I started to study guitar with Brian again. And so to be able to come up here and play that song and sing with, with this beautiful group of musicians and everyone in it, it's just, this is heaven. This is heaven today. So I just want to thank Brian, wherever he is, for his patience. It's such a joy. So with that said, what I'd like to invite you to do as we move into our song and, and uh, prayer is... is uh, recall in this moment something you're grateful for, something that's alive for you. Because when we, when we move to that space uh, in our hearts, it opens us up. It's the feeling tone of abundance. It's the feeling tone of the infinite. And then our spiritual uh, practice doesn't, is not an intellectual exercise. It's an experience. And so gratitude for a teacher. If you can read, somebody taught you how to read. I mean, it doesn't have to be something extraordinary. If, who taught you how to drive a car or ride a bike or skated around the ice rink the first time with you? Because it's mandatory here in Canada, I've discovered. <laughs> but some, somewhere in your heart, there's someone that has touched you and spent some special time to, to mentor you in a skill or an activity or something. Because when we move into that and we pray from that, it's quite lovely and powerful. And so what I'm going to invite you right now to do is uh, sing a song with me. We sing it every week. And if some people would like to stand and sing it, fantastic. And if you can stay seated, that's a good thing too. In this very room, there's quite enough love. For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power 
to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room. In this very room. In this very room. And so what I'd invite you to know with me, my invitation is to allow my words to be your words because you are influencing those words in this moment. And what I know is I recognize in this season of the celebration of the Christ, that Christ that lives within each person. And I recognize it and I celebrate it and I look to that one life that has been gifted my life in so many ways with people and opportunities and ideas and inspiration and the challenges and the obstacles that have shaped who and what I am today in my own being. The disappointments, the people that I have disappointed or have disappointed me And in some way, shape, or form, the graciousness of that experience to come into my life so that forgiveness of myself and others has become available and has become a habitual practice for me so that I may put it down, those things. I never forget. I just don't carry them with that energy, that frustration and anger. They do not define who I am. I'm so grateful for that. That was modeled so beautifully. The teacher Jesus, as he said, the last words he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so let us come together in that graciousness of understanding, knowing that if we knew better, we would do better. And if they knew better, they would do better. And so we are here this day in this, in this celebration of his life, his message, his modeling, and the celebration of Dr. Ernest Holmes, who took what he gathered from that beautiful teacher from Nazareth and applied it in a way that I can access in my own life and make real for me. I'm so blessed this day for that. I give thanks knowing that the Christ consciousness is alive in and through and as each and every one of us. It has never been not a place alive in us. It has never not been there. And so I just give thanks. I give thanks for this remembrance in this Christmas season to know that as we give from that and as we receive from that awareness, everything, everything is a present. Everything is a gift. So in gratitude and appreciation, putting down anything within my awareness, unlike what I have just articulated, no longer giving it any energy, I release those ideas, those small ideas, and together we stand together in the love and the grace and the beauty in celebration of life and inviting you to say with me, and so it is. Thank you. And our free hugs gang is here today. Hey, stand up, you guys. The reindeer are here. They will be giving free hugs in the front. I'm going to be charging for them in the back. So, <laughs> Two hugs for a loony, something like that, a special. Oh, what the heck, I'll be giving them away too. But I just won't have the reindeer on. What a wonderful day, what a wonderful weekend. We did an ordination here for Reverend Connie Nissen um, Friday night, which was just <laughs> fabulous. And I wanted to... Um, as I did in the first service, I, I, I meticulously typed out my notes and prepared them and had them all taped together, ready to go. And then I got over here and left, and I brought the notes from last week with me. So <laughs> fortunately, I spent so much time with them. It, it really is a wonderful thing. I like to, I like to be um, uh, clear enough about where I'm going so that I really don't need them. And today, I obviously don't need them. Um, 
but I wanted to share, we're in the, we're in the, the Christmas season, and, and, you know, this whole thing, and it's, it's so full of, you know, so many things that become at times obligations. Has anybody noticed that? Is you have to, do you feel like you have to buy a gift for someone? You know, I mean, we, we, we go into that. I know I, with all my big family, we used to have that, uh, um, we'd pick names. And I got the same name every year, and my sister got me every year. And so we were, we just give each other the same gift back and forth every year. <laughs> It was very economical. But I mean, but it was just, it, it was a joke because it was so obligatory. There wasn't a lot of love behind it. So, you know, for us as metaphysicians, is looking at this um, from our perspective, you know, and people would say, and I shared a bit of this, I want to use it today, and, and uh, I shared it at the ordination. Because an ordination really comes from the lineage of Jesus, which is the anointing of the disciples and the apostles. And so in the Christian tradition, it comes directly from him. And uh, we, don't anoint, we don't ordain uh, ministers right away simply because we want to make sure that the consciousness is there. And so we take our time with it because we realize ministry is a calling and, and consciousness will, will reveal itself. And so it's not that we want to withhold anything, but we want to nurture and, and, and support someone into that consciousness. But what Holmes said about Christianity and about Christmas, he said, we are a Christian denomination. But he said, he said someone says we don't believe in Jesus. Of course we believe in Jesus. He said, and we believe in Buddha too. And we believe in Socrates, and we believe in Abraham Lincoln. We believe in, and there's some more of our, our, our heroes on the walls there. You know, people, I've had people, you know, I had a lady, this is a, such an interesting job, I had a lady come to me one time and say, I hate that when you sing that in this very room. I hate it. <laughs> and I thought, okay, thanks. And then I thought, well, I'll change it. You know, I should pay attention. I'll change it. And then I started to change it to another song. And I had about five people come up to me and said, what happened? What? You didn't sing in this very room. I said, well, I thought I'd change it. Don't ever change that song. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So she doesn't come here anymore. <laughs> she doesn't. Well, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, this is life. And, 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 and so for me, you know, the, the idea is that to, to, you take it personally. It's not personal. If you don't like the song, it's okay. A lot of songs I don't like. I'm not a big polka fan. I don't, I don't have one CD from, or download, download on my iPod from doing polka. I'll do the polka, but, you know, I'm not going to record it. But the point being is that, that with all of this, with all of our biases and our opinions and our judgments and our projections and all the things that go on, when we do that, and, and, and I've talked about it a great deal the last uh, 10 weeks because I've been teaching it in the, in the foundations class, but a number of wonderful class we had. And, um, but we talked about the kingdoms a lot because the kingdoms give us an insight into where we're operating from. The kingdom, of, and I've used it a lot, so I'm going to touch on it, but the first kingdom is the kingdom of victimhood. It's the, the place where our, our spirit is absolutely asleep. We don't know we're even connected to spirit. And then when we start to wake up, which takes courage, it takes a lot of courage to get from kingdom one to kingdom two because what it requires is you got to put a lot of stuff down to get in there. But when we start to move into kingdom two, our intuition starts to click in and our spirit becomes awake. And that's where, you know, when you watch the movie The Secret, that's, where, that's what it's all about is the kingdom of manifestation, a kingdom of sufficiency. But that's not the final destination. Most people get there and then they play in that kingdom, you know. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff. We're a teaching that says we should have enough stuff in our life so we can have enough good in our life so that we can give our gifts, develop our gifts, and help change the world. 
And so we're, we're, you know, we're, very, we're very practical. We're a mystical teaching. And Holmes talks about it here. He said, he said that the difference, the way we approach the Christ consciousness, and he loved Jesus. I mean, this guy, he said this is the most significant thing that ever happened on the planet, in his opinion, was the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. But he said he was a great example, not the great exception. And most people look at him as the only begotten son. And he says right here at the chapter 22 in the Science of Mind textbook, who is Christ, the son begotten of the only father? Not the only begotten son. He is the son begotten of the only father. And the mystical concept, the sonship, our sonship with spirit is embodied in an individual who recognizes this sonship. How many people do you know that would not be willing to say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm the son or daughter of God? that I come from that source of life. Not, uh, not even be able to think in those terms. And it's not because we accuse them or blame them. They're just, you know, Jesus said it at the, on the altar, at the, on the cross. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. They, we're not born in original sin. We're born in original ignorance. We don't know. And so we, we can stay invisible. If you want to live a, a life of, of smallness your whole life, then stay in victim consciousness. How do you know when you're in victim consciousness? Well, you get angry, you get upset. You feel attacked. You're, you know, you're, there's something that's happened in your life. And, and that's, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying that you just walk around saying everything's fine, everything's perfect, when it's not. But, but the point is, is to understand that when we're there to have enough consciousness and awareness to realize, okay, here I am in victim consciousness. Why is this, why is this driving me crazy? Why is this pushing my button? And then, as I said many times over the last several months, look at it long enough and to dismantle it, to dissolve it. But see, the, the other challenge with it is, then, then uh, just when you think you got that one handled, something else pops up. And then something else pops up. But once we understand that's the job we're, that's the business we're about, it's like, oh, cool. Look what's coming up now. I did have to tell you this tonight. We, Laura and I got married, right? And so we're having this great wedding, and we're at the Fillmore Church. I'll tell it really quick. And, and we're packing all this stuff, and I had the same pickup truck. I don't, oh, that was another one. I came to Canada. My truck broke down. I had to buy it. My truck was two years old when I came here. It's now 13 years old. And this lady said to me, is that your truck? And I said, yes. And she says, oh, you Americans all have new vehicles. Okay. And I thought, well, is that my welcome to Canada or what? You know? But it was just another example of, of uh, you know, this, this idea that rich Americans come. And I wish she'd come. She left, too. I think she didn't like the song either. But, <laughs> but the point is, so we get married, and I pack all the gifts in the back of my truck. And we're flying along from the church. We're going home. And, and, and letters and cards are flying out of the, out of the back of the truck. And my mother, my new mother-in-law, stops, and she's walking through the orange groves, because we were, and she's picking stuff up. And by the time she got home, an hour after we got there, from stopping every, every hundred yards to pick stuff up, she was livid. She was ready to kill me. And uh, my brother was there as, as the best man, and he looked at me after she got done uh, saying what she needed to say to me. And he just said, wasn't it great how mad she got? <laughs> and I thought, that is a good way to look at it, isn't it? <laughs> She's coming in a couple of weeks. She's not mad at me anymore, but, but it's, it's all worked out. But the point is, is that when we understand that, that that's part of life, and there's going to be disappointment, there's going to be things that happen in our lives, then how do we manage our own beingness so that we can continue to be uh, productive on this planet? and not get stuck in this one idea that is so d diminishing and small. And so what Holmes was talking about is giving birth and, giving a, and, and bringing to life within us this idea of the Christ, 
the Christ consciousness. And he didn't. He didn't. I mean, Meister Eckhart wrote. Uh, not, uh, Meister uh, Eckhart wrote about this in the 16th century. He said the very same, same thing. He said, "God never begot but one Son, but the Eternal is forever beginning, the only begotten." The life is a continuum. In fact, what Holmes says is the world forms and disintegrates as the body does. But creation goes on forever. Life is eternal. Life is eternal. Time, time is a concept that we've created as human beings so that we can give context to this experience in this plane. I was listening to Dr. Robert Lazarus on, on the radio. I have a radio broadcast on the um, internet last night. And he's one of the leading physicists on the planet. He's good buddies with Stephen Hawking, and they're on this cutting edge of awareness. And his, one of his specialties is consciousness. And he said, we now realize as scientists that nothing exists, or matter doesn't exist until it's observed. Matter doesn't exist until it's observed. I can't wrap my head around it. But what he's saying is that when we observe something, it changes. It changes it. And so, how powerful is our consciousness? That when we observe something, it changes. And, we, and they know this now. And they're just trying now to figure out ways to articulate it and share it. So when you think, we come together, you know, the, the, in this consciousness of, of, of awareness and the consciousness of free, even the free hugs and the things like that, it's powerful. It's powerful stuff. We're changing, the change in the world, a thought at a time. So what Holmes is talking about, the world forms and disintegrates as the body does, but creation goes on, on, on and on forever. One of the earliest um, teachers of this is the Hindu tradition, which doesn't have a founder. The Hindu tradition has no founder. It's the oldest organized tradition on the planet. But what the Hindus uh, talked about and wrote about is they identified, I mean, they have, they have hundreds of gods, which really are just aspects and qualities of the one God. And they know that, but, but they've broken it down. So what, what they do when it talks about the world disintegrating and recreating itself, creation going on and on forever, there's three aspects of it within the Hindu tradition. One is, the first one is Brahma, which is the breath of life, which is giving birth, creation. The second one is Vishnu. Vishnu is the one that's the sustainer. And the third is Shiva. And Shiva is the destroyer. But this is the cycle of life. And so what they know, and what, what Holmes understood, and what we stand for as a tradition, and, and what limits our experience of this, this idea of our sonship and daughtership with spirit, is that we, we have obstacles that keep us from the, experience, for the, from the fullness of the experience because we get caught up in them, and we turn our attention to it. And so what it does is it shuts off the flow of life. It shuts off, shuts off that intuition. Because as Holmes said, as we step into this awareness, the highest faculty, here I'll read this, this is from chapter 22. He says, right here through our own nature is the gateway and the path which leads to illumination, to realization, to inspiration, and to the intuitive perception of everything. The highest faculty in us is intuition. And it comes to a point sometimes where there is no process of reasoning at all. We know instantly. We've all had that experience. This is not limited to special groups, special people. It's in all traditions. It's within all people. But what limits is the garbage. It's our, our biases, our opinions about ourselves that we don't deserve. We get into these habitual ways of thinking and doing and that limit it. So what, what the Hindus have said is, okay, you've given birth to this and you've sustained it. And do you want to continue to sustain it or should the energy of Shiva come in to destroy it? And if it's appropriate for Shiva to destroy it, it's fantastic. It's time to put it down so that a new idea can take its place. So we're not stuck. We're not, we're not locked. This is ancient wisdom. And Holmes was built upon. I'm reading uh, The Life Divine by Sri Aurobindo right now. I'm trying to read it. It's the size of two, 
two uh, um, telephone books. But in it, it was the book that one of the teachers that Holmes had, Sri Aurobindo. And you can see Holmes coming and going in the book. When you read the Science of My Textbook, you read Sri Aurobindo. It's the life divine. He had it on his nightstand. He read it every night. So I've been reading a bit of it every day. The same stuff comes from that lineage, that tradition, that ancient wisdom. And so, but when, we, when, we're not, when we hang on to things, so what practices do we have in our lives? What, what, what biases are we creating or, or limiting our experience of life? You know, Jesus said it that last, his last words would forgive them. They don't know what they do. He was in a tough spot. You know, can you imagine being crucified for healing people? He, was, he threatened everybody. He made the powers that be feel that they were powerless. They had to get rid of them. The world wasn't ready for that consciousness yet. And fortunately, we live in a society and a culture where we can have this discussion. We can talk about it. We can talk about the, the possibilities in our lives. And not stay stuck, not stay stagnant. You know, um, and, and, you know there, and there's so many opinions about Scripture. And I don't talk a lot about Jesus in our teaching because, you know, it, we've all had experiences with it. And sometimes, it, but I think it's important, and especially in a time this season, how do we interpret this? But people will get a little bit, you know, people will get a little bit of information and they'll create a whole story around it. I, was, I recall, I recall the, the movie uh, The Life of Brian by uh, Monty Python. In that movie, there's, they're all standing at the Sermon on the Mount. They're all in the back. And, the, and of course, the Python guys are all in the back and they can barely hear. And so they're back there arguing amongst themselves. And, and, and uh, Michael Palin scratches his nose, and his wife says, you're picking your nose. And he says, I'm not picking my nose. I'm scratching my nose. So they're all back there in this silly conversation. And all of a sudden, like, somebody says, what did he say? Because Jesus is up there doing the Sermon on the Mount. And the guy about 30 feet ahead says, turns around and says, he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> and the man says, another man standing there says, the cheesemakers, what do the cheesemakers have to do with this? And the, and the other fellow says, well, I don't think he means uh, specifically cheesemakers. It's a metaphor for all dairy workers in general. <laughs> and then in a little bit, and then, and then Jesus says, blessed are the, the meek. And the guy turns around and he says, well, what did he say? He says, he said, blessed are the Greeks. And they're like... <laughs> What did the Greeks have to do with it? And he said, no, no, the meek. And then this lady says, oh, the meek. I'm glad they're getting something because they've had a rough go, you know. <laughs> but it's such a wonderful metaphor of how we get little pieces of things. We, you, I mean, imagine. Imagine. It's like the, the, the story of the Catholic priest that's reading the, 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 the ancient text that's finally been interpreted properly, and he hollers out, he says, it doesn't say celibate, it says celebrate. <laughs> that would be disappointing, wouldn't it? So uh, throughout this month, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about finding the Christ because this, this whole chapter is just so rich with information. And, and, and I, I think it's so important for us to understand it. I mean, what do we stand for? You know, you're not Christian. You don't believe you have to go through Jesus to get to God? Well, you know, if I know that I've got to embody the Christ consciousness to have a bit larger experience of life, I do agree with that. And, 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 it's, and love's so subjective. Oh, I don't love Jesus the way you love Jesus, so I can't be part of your group? 
That kind of stuff. See, and that's victim consciousness, and it's okay. You don't have to make it wrong. You just go, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I always say to people now, it doesn't represent my position. Um, when I was flying on the airplane down south a couple weeks ago, and the guy next to me was talking about the devil for about five minutes, we don't teach the devil. Holmes said it's redundant. There would not be a power equal to God. In the, in the, it, it couldn't exist. But it's, and so he went on about the devil. I didn't say a word. I just listened to him. I go, okay. You know, I didn't agree. I didn't argue. I just listened. But because, and, I, and, what I, and so I'm filtering it in a way and saying, well, this is his idea of what evil looks like and oppression and small ideas and it's victim consciousness. So I had that context. So I was fine with it. I don't have to defend it. I don't have to convert him. And so I just listened. And then we had this wonderful conversation about other things. But if I'd stopped to defend my position because I'm right and you're wrong, then all of a sudden we're in a fight. I've been in enough fights. I don't want to do that anymore. Holmes says... He says, we should turn to that living presence within, which is the Father in heaven, recognize it as the one and only power in the universe, unify with it, declare our word, this is very important, declare our word to be the presence, the power, and the activity of this one. You see, when we understand that our word, see, our tongues are all pink. It doesn't matter what color our skin is, our tongue is all pink. And the tongue activates, it activates, and it's consciousness, it's the, it's the unity, it's the, the recognition and the unity behind the word that makes it so powerful. This is what Jesus taught. This is what the Christ consciousness taught. Holmes said he couldn't, he couldn't help become the Christ. But Christ is not a person. It's a principle. It was impossible for Jesus not to have become the Christ. We should speak our words with belief in his power because the law is a servant of the, servant of the Spirit. The law is a servant of the Spirit. There is an aspect to the creative process available to all of us that is impressed with everything that we think and say. That's why it's so important to be careful with your words. I used to say a lot of, you know, I used to, one of my favorite jokes was, you know, I have enough money to live the rest of my life as long as I'm dead by Tuesday. And I said, I'm not saying that anymore. Because they get a laugh, and I go, I just said that to a bunch of people. And I just said it again to a bunch of people. Oh my gosh. That's the last time I tell that joke. But our words have power. He said, Holmes said, if we could stand aside and let this one perfect light throw through, flow through us, we would not, we could not help healing people in ourselves. So we haven't done it. Some have, some haven't. But our opportunity is to continue to do our own work to do it. Our opportunity is to continue to mind the depths of our own consciousness and to embody that. There's a wonderful practice in South America that has emerged just from the, if you look at nature. And this is what uh, um, Meister Eckhart, his, his teacher was nature. And he understood that the nature of the infinite, the nature of the source of all life, the nature of God, was in nature, and it's constantly reproducing, constantly creating through the cycles and the seasons. And he said, this is our nature as well. He understood, and homes built upon that. But in South America, where most of the villages have located themselves, they're near mountains, they're near uh, mountainsides. In Europe, it's a lot of rivers. I mean, Edmonton is a river city where you, know, you, you need water. But in South America, many of the villages are right next to a mountain. And they have a sluway there that they call a, it's a A-C-E-Q-U-I-A. And I think it's Akia. And so I'm going to say that because unless anybody else can correct me. Um, I had a Spanish-speaking person at the first service that didn't know how to pronounce it. So, pronounce it, so. But uh, these, these Akias are sluways. And what happens is a certain period of time in the year, the, the water comes down and, it, and it, the village is uh, resupplied. And so what they believe is that what happens at the top of the mountain, the gods hold the water to a certain point. 
And then at, 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 at a certain point when it starts to melt, of course, it starts to run down the mountain. So every year in a number of the villages, there's a ritual where everyone gets together, they climb the mountain, and they, they clear this leeway. And so, because over the course of the year, trees will have fallen there, uh, snakes will have bu- built their nests there, um, various animals will have built certain things all the way up and down the mountain, and, tr- and uh, rocks will have fallen in there. So they go up together, and they, and they move everything. They clear everything away, so when the water, when the ice melts, the water can flow down the mountain. They don't kill any of the animals unless they have to. If someone's life is threatened, if it's a poisonous snake and they can't manage it without getting rid of it, they get rid of it. But they try and just carefully clear the sluway. And it's everybody in the village because they know how important that water is to come down and nourish them. And it's a wonderful metaphor in our lives of what things fall into our awareness that keep us from this experience of our oneness with spirit, our oneness with with God. And so our job as metaphysicians is alive and awake and aware people that live in kingdom two and can live in kingdom three is that we can clear this stuff away. We can clear away the the things that that are limiting the flow flow of spirit into our lives. And it could be that some things have to be killed in our experience. We may have to put to death an idea in our experience. You may have to put to death the idea that you're not good enough or you don't deserve. Or I'm not enough uh, to have a better life, a different, greater health, greater uh, creative expression. Whatever it may be, that idea, it's time may have come to put that to death. And so, because you've moved it and moved it and it keeps moving back into your pathway of, of the, the source of all life, then you go to work it with spiritual practice. And you dissolve it so you can reveal something new. But it's a great metaphor for our lives. It's, a, it's the same example the Hindus talked about. That, that, that something is given birth, it's sustained, and then sometimes it has to die. And many times it does die in the cycle of life. But life is eternal. As Dr. Robert Lazarus was talking about it last night as I was listening to him, you can go on Coast to Coast Radio with uh, Art Bell and pull it up. It's unconsciousness. And it was amazing. He was talking about, oh, he said, life's eternal. Life's eternal. It never stops. And Holmes talked about that. All the great metaphysical masters talked about it. This form stops, but life goes on and on forever. And what we are involved in is this this tapestry of the outward and upward spiral of consciousness in a way that's powerful and wonderful. But, but, But it's so important, as Holmes said, to go to that fountain each day and recognize that, it is, uh, that, that that life is my life. That source is my source. It's one of the reasons I teach the, the uh, uh, Prosperity Plus. If you haven't been in Prosperity Plus, one of the in- invitations in Prosperity Plus is to tithe, which means 10% of your finances go to giving in, within this class for 10 weeks. And and the reason it's such a powerful class is is because that's such a difficult practice for people. Because that's my money. I got news for you. It's not your money. Everything I'm wearing up here, it's not mine. I didn't go out and grow the fabric, the cotton and all the other stuff, the whatever that put this together. This all came from God. Everything I'm wearing, everything you're wearing, everything we're sitting on, standing upon, it all belongs to God. 
what we do is somebody goes and gets it and puts it together, and then they, because they've done that, provided that service, they're compensated for that service. It has nothing to do with ownership. But the flow of life, once we understand that my money is, I'm here to have prosperity in my life so that I can give, so that the consciousness continues to expand on the planet. And then I'm not hanging on to this idea, because the reason I hang on to anything, including my money or any, or any resentments or, or hostilities I have, the reason I hang on to them, because I think they're mine. And it's just an idea we created around our idea, and all of a sudden we lift that, and, we, and, and as Shiva comes into our lives, the energy of Shiva destroys that and creates a different opening in our lives to say, wow, I live in the, I live in the divine flow of life. Because if, you if, if, you're, if you're hung up about having money now, having more money is not going to free you up. It's just going to create more stress in your life. And so why would you want to have more stress in your life? I was reading an article the other day about millionaires, people who win the lottery, and how miserable they are afterwards. I said, man, I'd love to try that. <laughs> I, I tell people all the time, if you, ha- if you have extra money that's driving you crazy, give it to me because I've got a lot of good things I can do with it. I still have a vision of a community here, a building that is, is just works so beautifully and wonderfully. It just keeps coming up for me and coming up. It's possible. And, it's be- and, and so what I know is Spirit saying to me, hey, this is possible for you. And then I get into the details. Well, how am I going to do that? And what I get to say is I get to put it down. I get to put it down. And I had someone come to me and say, well, how do I surrender? I need to surrender. How do I surrender? I said, stop trying. Just stop trying. You're, you're trying too hard. Surrender trying to surrender. But we, but, in, but it, I mean, I, I, isn't life great? Aren't we just one? I mean, we're amazing people. The stuff we believe about ourselves. You know? You know, if Jesus were here with us right now, he'd probably just say, forgive them. They know not what they do. What are the, what are the possibilities for all of us? We have this day and this life to live. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. What a joy to come here and I get surprised with this wonderful book and, and the beautiful music and to come and laugh and talk about our spirituality and realize that the Christ consciousness is available to all of us and all it is is a, re- a repetitive pattern of saying that life is my life right here and right now. And, and, you know, words are so powerful. What are we feeding ourselves every day? What is that steady diet of an idea that we can dwell upon? Because that which we dwell upon, we become. It's so simple. Why don't we do it? Because we get busy. Because we get so upset about something. I was watching a thing uh, yesterday, and, there, and uh, David McCullough, he's a wonderful author. He did the, he's the beautiful voice. He did the Civil War, if you saw that uh, thing on PBS. Beautiful, wonderful voice, and he loves history. And he said that in 1948, they had an election, and he said that his dad was brushing his teeth. He got up. He couldn't wait, stay up long enough. So who won the election, Dad? And it was Dewey against uh, Harry Truman. And everyone said that uh, Thomas Dewey was going to win. In fact, there was a headline paper that says, Dewey defeats Truman. Turns out Truman won. And his dad said, Truman won. Oh, and he's brushing his teeth. And he said, you know, you thought the world was going to come to an end. And he said, 30 years later, he goes home and he's talking to his dad and, he, and he's talking about politics again and how, how the world's going to hell in a handbasket again. And he said, God, he said, if we could just have a guy like Harry Truman again. <laughs> you know, life is going to continue despite our good opinions. And why not develop the opinions that are powerful and wonderful in our lives? Why not have words in our lives? Words, are, power- words are, are so powerful. Do you have signs up in your home that remind you of what you believe in and who you are? 
and, and reminders, because we need the reminders. I'm reminded of a, a story of, a, of two ministers in northern Minnesota where I grew up. I, didn't, I grew up in southern Minnesota, but we had a lot of stories about Ole and Sven. And so Reverend Ole was across the street with, with Reverend Sven, and they both had Lutheran churches, because Lutheran churches are very popular there. And Sven and, and Ole are out one day, and they're putting a sign along the side of the road, and Ole's holding it, and Sven's hitting it with a sledgehammer, and he's driving the sign into the ground, and the sign says... Slow yourself down and turn yourself around because the end is near. And, it, uh, and so, so uh, get yourself turned around before it's too late. And so this fellow drives up in a sports car and he goes, Why don't you two religious nuts leave everybody alone? Jeez, and the guy tears off down the road and about 10 seconds later you hear a big crash and a splash. And Reverend Sven looks at Reverend Ollie and says, don't, Do you think the sign should just say the bridge is out down there? So Ernest Holmes said, let's do this. We'll do this together. I want to read it to you, and then we'll do this together. He said, so we, and this is just in the first couple pages of this beautiful chapter on, on finding the Christ. He said, daily, we should practice in our meditations the realization of life, infinite indwelling spirit within me, almighty God within me, real substance within me, that which is truth within me. Let's say this together. Infinite indwelling spirit within me. Infinite indwelling spirit within me. Almighty God within me. Almighty God within me. Real substance within me. That which is truth within me. That which is truth within me. And so it is.